So Acts chapter 4, let's look at verse 1 together. Now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them. Okay, this is Peter and John. And being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and they preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead and they laid hands on them and they put them in custody until the next day for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed and the number of the men came to about 5,000. So Peter's sermon on the Temple Mount was suddenly interrupted. Last week I kept mentioning, I wish I could have been there. It would have been so awesome to see all this stuff going down. As Peter is preaching, he gets interrupted. Interrupted by who? All these religious people. So what's taking place here is night is coming. Night falls now here. If you look back at chapter 3, verse 1, they went up, right? It was 3 o'clock. To pray. All this stuff is now taking place. It's too long to have a trial or to deal with Peter and John preaching Jesus and doing miracles. So let's just throw them in jail. How cool would it be to go to jail for doing good? Right? I think that'd be pretty cool. You guys know I have a heart for jail ministry, and I really believe there's a good chance I'm going to be in jail, incarcerated someday because of the gospel. You guys just look around what's going on around the world today. Okay, they're trying to pay, pass hate speech crimes into bills like crazy. Luckily, they keep getting caught. Canada's already there. You guys know I love the Word of God. You know here at Freedom, we take it serious, the whole council. We study it verse by verse, okay, chapter by chapter. We're in the Word of God. And just teaching the Word, if I was a preacher in Canada, there's a pretty good chance I'd probably be in jail because, yeah, I'm not going to skip that. I'm not going to sugarcoat it to make you all comfortable. No. Because it doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what I have to say. What does God say? And for us to skip any part of the Word of God, it's a dangerous place to be. But it would be cool to be in jail. Why? Because there's a lot of people in jail that need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. So no matter where you are, people need to hear. And these guys end up being uh, thrown in jail overnight. Now I want to look at this group of people. Okay, It was an official group, right? You had the priests. You have the temple guard, and you have the Sadducees. Now, the Sadducees had vested interest here. One thing, they didn't believe in the resurrection at all. And here they're preaching Jesus being resurrected, and miracles are happening. So these very rich people of society, these religious men who only believed in the Torah, were tripping out that these things are happening, and they don't know what to do. So, hey, let's throw them in jail. Let's deal with it tomorrow. Verse 2, it tells us they were greatly disturbed that they taught the people. Christianity always brings teaching directly to the people. Okay? It doesn't have to go through some intermediary thing. Okay? We just get to go. God's called us all to be ambassadors, to go preach the gospel to all people. We get to go and teach others. Verse 3 then tells us, and they laid hands on them, and they put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. So arrested and placed in jail overnight. So what exactly was the cause of the arrest? What could they really charge these guys with? Well, resurrection teaching. That was the problem. 
It was a uh, really a collision between the new faith and the old faith. In verse 4 it says, However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. Wow. A megachurch overnight. And these were men, guys. Okay, um, Here it says, and it, uh, <laughs> Peter and John are being dragged off to jail, but there's still people getting saved. That's what I think is cool. Okay? God uses our obedience. And sometimes we don't get to see the fruit of it. You guys ever feel that way? You've done something, you went and did your thing, you knew something was going to happen, but you had to maybe go back home <laughs> or to this next meeting. God's doing much. And I want to encourage you guys. I think he's doing a lot more than what we think and we see. And we see here that 5,000 men get saved. It was probably up to or more than 15,000 people because this didn't include all the women and all the children that were there hearing the preaching of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So persecution always makes for growth. I love it. Um, when the emperor Valens threatened Eusebius with confiscation of all his goods, torture, banishment, and even death, the courageous Christian replied, I love what he said, listen, he needs not fear confiscation who has nothing to lose, nor banishment to whom heaven is his country, nor torments when his body can be destroyed at one blow, nor death, which is the only way to set him at liberty from sin and sorrow. How do we think about persecution? How does a persecuted church think about persecution? We enjoy a lot of liberties here in America, a lot of freedoms that men and women have gone before us and laid down their lives, have went to war to fight so we could enjoy these religious freedoms in which we have here in America. But what about the majority of the world where Christians are being beaten, thrown in prison, and even put to death for their faith? What do they think about it? They're pretty okay with it. Do you guys know that? Because they see fruit from it. They see others coming to Christ. They understand the sacrifice. So they never ask that we would pray that the persecution would stop. What they ask for is, hey, please, church, other believers, brothers and sisters, would you pray for us and pray that we would have more boldness? More boldness. Isn't that what Peter and John do here? The same thing. I think some persecution for us would probably be a good thing. <laughs> So this was the official beginning of persecution of Christians. So far, it's been the general acceptance and favor uh, for them, but we have the officials now who are about to turn against them. And primarily, it's the Sadducees. This was the number one of ten persecutions directed against Christianity during the first three centuries. If you guys don't study church history, start doing it. Okay, A lot that we can learn from it. In one way or another, the Christian church has suffered persecution ever since this. So I hope um, that we as believers acknowledge the persecuted church and are praying for the persecuted church on a regular basis. So have you ever 
thought about going to jail for doing good? Do you think Peter and John were thinking this? Well, they saw their Lord and Savior be put to death. What do you think they were expecting? I think they probably had a good idea of what was going to happen. But let's look at here at the interrogation together. Look at verse 5. And it came to pass on the next day that the rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas the high priest, and Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, as many as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? And then Peter, well, let me pause there for a second. <laughs> There's a reason why they ask that question. If you go back and you read in Deuteronomy, uh, you were to be stoned if you claimed any miracle or anything to be done by any other than Jehovah. Okay? By the one and true living God. That was one of the laws that were put in there. So they come, hey, a miracle's taking place. <laughs> by, by what power? What name? Has this been done? So they're holding to the Torah, the law. Hey, this is what the scriptures say. Who are you saying did this? Well, Peter then, filled with the Holy Spirit, verse 8, he speaks to these rulers and he says to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands before you whole. And this is the stone which was rejected by the builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So they were ordered to appear before the Sanhedrin. These are the highest Jewish council. Okay, 71 members made up of both uh, main uh, Jewish parties. Okay, um, and something interesting about the Sanhedrin, okay, people weren't voted in when someone would die <laughs> or move on. Uh, the, the council themselves would elect the, the next person to fill that empty spot. So this is probably in as much trouble, these guys, uh, for the message in the, the temple as they are for this man getting healed. Okay? Uh, verse 7, it says, And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or what, by name have you done this? So what power, what name? I want you guys to note in that question alone is admission to the existence of power in name. So verse 8 tells us with Peter, okay, answering them by the power of the Holy Spirit. You guys, again, we considered this a few weeks ago, but another fresh filling of the Spirit. A person isn't just baptized in the Spirit of God once and that's it. We as believers need to be continually being filled with the Spirit of God. That's why it's so important for us to walk in the Spirit, right? We need to be filled, especially if we're doing and obeying what God's asked us, which is to what? Go preach the gospel to all people. Isn't that the great commission for believers? No, I thought that was just for evangelists, Pastor. 
or maybe missionaries. No, we are all ambassadors for the kingdom of God. If you are a believer in Christ, if you are born again, you are salt and light, whether you like it or not. And we are called. That's why we're here. We are called to go and share. If God just made people saved, guess what? There'd be no point for us to be here. Wouldn't it be cool if we just got raptured the second we got saved? Woohoo! Just out of here. No, we're left behind for a reason, right? So, we consider here, Peter's probably uh, remembered his master's promise. Okay, he walked with Jesus for three years. He's probably reflecting, okay, I'm in this situation. <laughs> Some crazy things are happening. We just went to pray, this miracle happened, and I'm filled with the Spirit again, and I just can't keep my mouth shut. You know, that's one of Peter's problems. But <laughs> now, in the book of Acts, it's a good thing when he opens his mouth, isn't it? Okay, remember what the Master said. Now, when they bring you to the synagogues, to the magistrates, to the authorities, don't worry how or what you should answer or what you should say for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say, but it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. Okay, God's promised that. And I believe that's exactly what is happening here in Acts chapter 4. Now the second part of verse 8, if you guys notice a very respectful solution here, yet with boldness, which implies it's a very strange reason for an inquiry. Did they disapprove of these good deeds? Okay, is this your problem, guys? Are you upset that this man who's been lame for 40 years, laying at the gate beautiful, is now able to leap and praise God? Are we upset about that? Is that wrong? What's going on? Look at verse 9. If we this day are judged for a good deed done to this helpless man, by what means has uh, he's been made well? So verse 10 then, it comes back again to the power and the name. It's Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That's where the power comes from. It's from him, his name. So Peter also accused the Sanhedrin of the responsibility of rejecting and killing Jesus. And he also proclaimed God's power in raising Jesus from the dead. So what verbal and visible evidence did Peter offer in their defense? Well, the verbal is the name of Jesus and the power is of God. So the visible thing is the man is standing there before them. How can you argue that? Isn't that so cool that the guy who was healed was there with them? How can you argue that? He's right here. <laughs> what are you going to do with it? You know, we have the evidence. God moved. And it's Jesus who did it. So what are the characteristics here? Okay. Well, if we consider this, what's going on. Look at verse 11. Okay. Um, it says, This stone, okay, which was rejected by the builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. So Peter brings them back to their own scriptures, okay, to point them to this message that he's preaching. And I wonder if any of the members of the Sanhedrin remember this was the same psalm that Jesus used and applied to himself only a few months earlier before they crucified him. And then verse 12, this is one of my favorite scriptures in all the Bible. I hope it's circled in yours. It says, Nor is there salvation in any other 
For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Don't you guys love that scripture? It is great. I've shared this scripture with so many people through the years. Because there are. We live in a day and an age, hey, we got to be tolerant of everything. Except this Jesus. Because Jesus makes these type of claims that he's the only way. You Christians are nuts thinking that he's the only way. Yeah, I think he is the only way. He's God and he said it. He proved it. What has your God done? Well, my God is my own opinions. And my own opinion is everything is okay. And everybody's faith is okay. And there is no absolute truth. Because we can't have absolute truth. Well, then what's any truth? Doesn't truth have to be an absolute? I don't know. You guys ever get frustrated with people that have a hard time with the gospel? I do. God loves us. <laughs> and he's made the way. He's done it all. How can somebody be so mad at God? How dare he say it has to be this way? Can't get any easier. It's the rest of the world that's nuts. Think about every religion in the world. Every single religion except biblical Christianity says you have to do something. Salvation, hope, everything is on you. And we're mad because God of the Bible says, no, I did it for you. I love you. I saw that you couldn't do it. Even in your best efforts, mankind, you've tried and you've tried. And you couldn't. So I came and I did what you couldn't. My gift, this grace, nothing you have to do, it's given to you freely. All you need to do is receive it by faith. Do you want it? Do you believe it? Do you believe that I, God Almighty, am alone Savior or not? And we in our flesh and our pride say, nope, can't be. Hate Christianity. How dare you guys? How dare you preach that? How dare you speak of this resurrection of Jesus and claiming that he's God? How dare you believe in this book, the only one that's proven to be supernatural, the only one that has fulfilled prophecy in it, which most of those prophecies are about what? About Jesus, the Savior of the world coming. How dare you? I don't get the world. Where does that mentality come from, guys? It doesn't make sense. It's not logical. It's pride. It's ignorance. It's sin. Again, nor is there any salvation. There's none other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So of salvation, let's think about salvation for a second. It's needed by all. It's offered to all. And it's supplied by one. We must be saved. Right? Jesus is the only person by whom we, both individually and collectively, must there is no other alternative. Be saved from eternal destruction in God's fury due to our sins. The great necessity, we must be saved. Why must we be saved? Because 
We are lost sheep. We are helpless coin. We are hopeless prodigal son. Read Luke chapter 12. This will make sense. There's a great possibility, and that is salvation. So what are its characteristics? Well, it's pardon for past, the son. It's power for present, the coin. And it's peace for the future, sheep. The great provision is the name of Jesus. The name who has supplied salvation and how. You see, Christ's death for pardon, Christ's life for power, Christ's presence for peace. In the great opportunity under heaven, right, who may receive the salvation, it's offered to all, it's available for all peoples, and it's sufficient for all. In the great limitation, none other, it tells us. So how is this indicated? Only one source of information, it's the Bible. Only one plea, the person of Christ. Only one way, new birth through grace. Only one means, faith in Christ. He is the alone Savior. That is what the Word of God spells out so clearly. There are many paths that lead to destruction. But there is one path that leads to eternal life. And there are few that find that. Few. You see, all the sinners, good works, prayers, tears, beliefs, ordinances, good resolves, religious professions will avail him nothing. He must realize that Christ is the only door and the only way into God's acceptance forgiveness, blessing, and apart from faith in Christ, there is no salvation. I get it, Pastor. I'm already saved. Why are you taking so much time to preach this verse? The gospel message. Because we got to get it right, guys. If we don't get it right, we can't give it right. There are so many perversions of the gospel out there. There's so much bad teaching out there. I'm sick of YouTube. <laughs> I'll be honest with you guys. There's so much out there to toss us around. I encourage you guys, get into the Word of God. The gospel is all over. Genesis to Revelation, it all comes back to Jesus doing what he did for us. Get familiar with it. Know it. Know your Acts, chapter 4, verse 12, to share with other people. Understand what every word means. Because let me tell you what, people aren't getting it. And the good news definitely on CNN and on NBC. It's vaguely spoken of on a few other networks. But even that, it's not that clear. It's got to be clear. Because the gospel, guys, it's simply Jesus. 
it's him. And even in the church, we're adding so much extra stuff to it. And what does the Bible teach us? You add anything to Christ, what he has done, it becomes no effect to us. It does nothing. You see, good news is for sharing. You guys understand that? Good news is for sharing. And you need to share your faith your way. Sharing the faith is about communicating a body of facts about God, sin, salvation. So sharing your faith is about sharing your story in your style. See, God's given each of us unique personalities. We could take the rest of the time walking around the room and asking each other, you know, how would you share the gospel? What has God done in your life? I'm pretty sure it would sound very different. It still could be the exact same message, but the way it's shared would be radically different. And that's okay, guys. I want to quickly look at you, with you guys six different approaches to evangelism. Okay? Because God has given each of us unique personalities and each of us are supposed to share our faith. So I'm hoping in these six um, approaches you will maybe see your style or how you uh, have been made, your personality. So six different approaches. Each one, first of all, I want you guys to understand that each one of them is good. Okay? And there's no one that is better than another. God has given us our unique personalities and giftings for a reason. You guys understand that? Good. The first one that I see is confrontational style. And that is our brother Peter, right? <laughs> we saw it in Acts chapter 2. We're seeing it here today in Acts chapter 4. In conversations, you like to approach topics directly. No time for small talk. Just getting in there and let's, let's, uh, let's just talk about it. No beating the bush. You're bold, you're confident. Just remember to be tactful. Okay? The second one is intellectual style. And a good example of that would be the Apostle Paul. And I think of Acts chapter 17. Remember when he went to Athens, a Greek city there that were full of philosophers and deep thinkers? You're a very logical person. You're analytical, okay? And you lay out your case for faith in Christ. You love to read and be up on what's going on, the debates in society. You enjoy discussion and debates. You get frustrated easily with people that are illogical or have weak arguments. A third type would be testimonial style, okay? An example would be someone telling your own story. You guys remember the guy, the blind man in John chapter 6? Okay, Funniest chapter in all the Bible. Take a read if you're not familiar. But the blind guy shares his story, his testimony, what Jesus had done, you know, and you can't deny it. You can't deny what God's done. People want to debate the word, but you can't debate what God's done in my life. I'll share my testimony with you, and you can't tell me I'm lying. It's not true, you know? That's why testimony is good. And there's some people that that comes very natural to them. It's normally people that like to tell stories. Do you know people like that? They're just good storytellers, right? Okay, they're able to illustrate a point through stories. People are interested in hearing their stories. Um, they're just gifted in that way. So you use your story uh, telling abilities to share the greatest story of all. 
The fourth is interpersonal style. Interpersonal style. And that would be a good example of Matthew. You guys familiar with him? We're told in Luke's account um, that Matthew, Luke chapter 5, he talks about Matthew, how he invited all his unbelieving friends over to his house to meet Jesus. I love that. Hey, come on over. Let's hang out. You got to meet somebody. <laughs> Isn't that so cool? You know, so that's, uh, that's an interpersonal style. This person is highly relational, very outgoing, friendly, knows a lot of people, makes friends easily, connects with people easily. And as you build relationships, you share the source of your joy in your life, in your love. And then there's the invitational style. This would be the fifth one. Invitational style. Um, an example would be the Samaritan woman, John chapter 4. She meets Jesus, and what does she do? She goes back to town and tells everybody, invites them, hey, you got to come meet this guy. You got to hear what he has to say, okay? Um, so you love to include people in activities you're involved in. Sometimes you're more comfortable letting others uh, answer questions, even if you know the answers. But continue to look for opportunities to bring friends to. Um, and then the sixth one is a serving style. And a good example of that is Tabitha Dorcas. We read of her in Acts chapter 9, verse 36. She was full of good works and charitable, charitable deeds. Okay, she helped people everywhere. She was making clothes. She had a huge impact um, there at Joppa and all the people that she served. So you see the needs of people and others uh, might often overlook. You find fulfillment in helping others behind the scenes. You prefer to show love uh, through action rather than words. So you look for ways to ensure that people understand that your service to them is because of the love of God and share that with them. So share your faith your way. That's the point I'm trying to make. Because sometimes we think, man, I wish I had the boldness. I wish I could share. No, God has made you, you for a reason. He's put the people who are in your life around you for a reason. Be you. Be real. One thing I think we do a lot as believers is we hide Jesus because we want relationship. We want opportunities to share and to love on people. Do you guys ever feel that way? You're talking with a non-believer. You're building a relationship. You're just trying to do life with them, share with them. And Jesus is such a big part of who we are and what we're up to and things happening. And we feel if we're truthful and we talk about what's really happening in life, it's going to scare them away. Don't let that trip you out. Be you. We talked last night or last week about Christian cheesiness. Pray for ways just to be normal in those conversations, to point to Jesus, to bring glory to him. So the point is, good news is for sharing. we got to share. Now there's a warning set before us here in verse 13. It says, Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, 
they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do with these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. But so that, it's, or so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. Did you guys catch in verse 13? They're calling these guys uneducated men. The understanding of the day when you called someone uneducated, it literally meant you're not able to write. You have not been schooled. You have not learned the basic ABCs. Okay? So here it denotes a lack of rabbinic teaching. But these two had a private education that couldn't get any better, right? They walked with Jesus, the greatest teacher of all time, firsthand for three years. I don't know where they get off saying that these men were uneducated. Did you not just hear what Peter preached? He knows the word of God. He was so convincing. 5,000 people got saved. Now there's got to be some power in that teaching. I know something about what he's talking about, right? It also says untrained. That word untrained in the Greek is where we get the word idiots from. A layman, one who is not an expert, unskilled, commoner, unlearned, illiterate men, as opposed to learned and educated. So literally, people of the land, ordinary folks, not systematically educated in the Bible and the traditions of either the Pharisees or the Sadducees. Thus, they have a low social status and little uh, would be expected of them. Now, the members of the Sanhedrin could easily spot that these were Galileans. Okay, they were upcountry uh, accents. Okay, hey, we can tell by your accent that you're these Galileans, and we know about these Galileans. A bunch of fishermen, a bunch of rednecks. Okay? <laughs> you don't know nothing. You haven't been to school. Um, therefore, you're very unlikely to be bringing any sort of of religious truth okay any sort of teaching so the thing that's neat and i hope you guys have this underlined in your bible they had been with jesus you want to be effective in sharing the gospel with others they had been with jesus been with jesus i'd rather sit down with a brother who's been with jesus meeting with him intimately, deeply, than someone who's got doctorates and masters in theology. Truthfully, guys, I love hanging out with people who've been with Jesus. What is God up to? What are you seeing in Scripture? You see, the best understanding of Christ's living biography should be written on or written out in the words and the actions of his people. There's this Persian proverb that says, a lump of clay emitted a beautiful odor, and on being asked for explanation, replied, I have been near a rose. 
I like that. You see, others realize that they had been with Jesus. Have you been near the rose? Have you been near the rose? Pastor, that's your job, isn't it? Aren't you supposed to hang out? And then you show up on Sunday and then you tell us what we need to know? Now, if you've been around freedom long enough, you know that's not how we roll around here. Oh, we are a body. <laughs> okay? We are here to encourage one another, to build one another up. Okay? And how's that going to be most effective? How are we going to do that well? Where might there be lack, pieces missing? Well, it's when we are not personally meeting with Jesus. Okay? We are called to fellowship. We are to be a part of each other's lives for a purpose. So, underline that in the scriptures. They had been with Jesus. Look at verse 14. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. I love that. See, the miracle had actually been done. The man wasn't in prison with them, but here... He is standing right by their side during the trial. Hey, you're on trial. I'm a witness. Here I am. What are you guys going to do? In the verses 16 to 18, although they were unable to deny this apostolic miracle that took place, they felt compelled to curtail the apostolic preaching. Okay, here was the Israeli Supreme Court. 71 learned, bearded, cold-eyed, scowling rabbis calling these two hillbilly fishermen out, okay? Um, so no one would have thought they'd win the showdown, but their bluff had been called, right? Look at verse 19. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge, you super religious peeps. For we cannot but speak these things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old on whom the miracle of the healing had been performed. So we must obey God and not men. That's another one to underline, isn't it? There's so much good stuff right here, right? We must obey God, not men. Is that true for you? You must obey God. Well, absolutely, pastor. If they ever tell me I can't preach the gospel, I'm going to preach the gospel. Because God said in his word, which trumps the law of the land. Do you guys understand that? The Bible says that we are under authorities. There are governments set in place and we need to submit to them. Unless what? Unless they're asking us to do something that is contrary to the word of God. And if they ever come to us and say that we can't preach the gospel anymore, we can't talk about Jesus anymore. Well, I'm going to do it because that's what the Bible says. Guys, I wish they would tell us that. Because we're not doing it. We're not doing it. More than 90% of Christians never share their faith with someone else. 90%. 
We're not doing it. I wish we would because in our human nature, we're kind of rebellious. We have freedom to go speak it right now, but I have a feeling if they said we couldn't, our rebellious nature would say, I'm going to go talk about it now. <laughs> you know, We ought to share the good news. Okay? Because God's asked us to do it. We must obey God and not men. I also see here, there's many times we don't obey God because the men that are speaking to us is self. I'm my own God. I'm calling my own shots. I don't care what you say. I don't care what you think. I had a conversation with a gal yesterday who, whoo-hoo, she does not like what the Bible has to say. She doesn't, believe, <laughs> she doesn't like how direct and how it claims that there's only one way. How can a loving God, if this God of the Bible, how can you say that a loving God would only say one way? She got really tripped up on that. Well, there can only be one truth. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I don't know why people have such a hard time with that. And let me encourage you guys, as you are sharing the good news with people, they have a hard time with you, they're not having a hard time with you. They're having a hard time with God and what he says. And sometimes we personally have a hard time with what he says, and that's why we don't obey. It's again in a way of me, of self, of my comfort, of what I want. And that's where we need to come back and be asking ourselves, <laughs> we must obey God and not men, not even self. You see, these verses constitute a solid basis for civil disobedience, but no rationalization for all illegal behaviors grounded in selfishness. And then verse 20 says, we cannot but speak. I love that. I cannot but speak. Boy, I'm supposed to be done already. Um, it helps our teachers downstairs to know how long we're going. Um, but every time I read this, don't you guys think of the prophet Jeremiah? You guys think about him? Didn't he get bummed out? He was a man of God, a prophet of God, to go, <laughs> told to go and preach to Israel. And he gets thrown in jail and he starts tripping out, didn't he? I'm done, God. <laughs> Forget you. I'm do this for you and this is what happens to me? How dare you, God? You guys remember that? But then something happened. He's like, I can't not but speak. <laughs> I, his word, it's burning in my bones. <laughs> I can't. No matter how bad it gets, I have to speak the word of God. You have to. And that's exactly where these guys are at. We cannot but speak. So can't help speaking about the things we've seen, that we've heard. So they were so filled with their message, we love her, the love of Christ, that they could not stop telling people about him about him you guys know why i'm a preacher i love talking about jesus some of you guys know me well enough i'm not the most talkative guy in the world some of you guys are like i don't know about that pastor we're running over already <laughs> but we're talking about jesus i like talking about jesus why because i've heard what he's had to say 
There's really nothing better to talk about. It's exciting stuff. And that's why we need to be in the Word of God. That's why we need to be studying. Not just hearing somebody else talk about God. Get in. Hear from Him for yourself. Let it burn within your bones. Whoa, this is so good. Yeah, why am I going to share the good news? Because it's really good news and other people need to hear it. How can I not tell others? You see, we cannot but speak. So can't help speaking these things that they've learned. Okay? Um, John Bunyan. How many of you guys are familiar with him? A few of you guys. John Bunyan. Okay, oh. John Bunyan, if you want to learn about his life, <laughs> we have a library downstairs for the kids. Hey, there's even a copy back there. They're all over the place. Um, I'm about to share a little story about him, but I grabbed this from the library this morning. Mom, dads, grandpa, grandmas, we have a library downstairs. Uh, we got these torch lighter uh, DVDs down there. It talks about a bunch of saints of old, their missionary journeys, their lives. Great stuff for your kids to get familiar with some of the heroes of the faith, okay? Utilize the library downstairs, lots of books, a lot of different stuff. But John Bunyan, okay, after he had been in prison many years simply for preaching the gospel, that was it. He got thrown into jail, okay? Um, he was promised to be set free. If he would promise never to preach in the name of Jesus again, you need to be done preaching the gospel, John. That's all you need to do. Just promise us you won't do it and we're going to let you go. He could have said, the gospel has not been helpful. It has only brought me and my family harm. I've left my wife to fend on her own. And what kind of witness am I to my blind son? I better get out of this place so I can get back to my tinkering. You see, he mended pots and pans. Instead, he said this, if you let me out of prison today, I will preach again tomorrow by the grace of God. He also bravely told them, if I lie in jail till moss grows on my eyelids, I will never conceal the truth which God has taught me. Can't do it. I like John Bunyan. Verse 21 and 22, the council had no alternative but to threaten and release them. So what exactly was the cause of their release? It was the people, wasn't it? It was the people. But their threatening, that's all they could do. Isn't that cool? That's all they could do. Now, I've been punched and threatened for the gospel overseas. Got a little physical. Nothing too big. Stateside for preaching the gospel on the streets, I've been spit on. I've been called this or that and yelled at. That's it. Okay? Nothing too big. You guys, we have a lot of opportunity. What's the worst that anyone can do to us? Really? Be bold. Share. The world can threaten us. And they're doing a good job of it because the church is scared. It's easy to talk about God here. <laughs> but what happens when we leave these four walls today, guys? There's a mission field we get to go to. I want to end with this this morning. This is really the Christian's threefold secret. 
First of all, for testimony, okay, we must be filled with the Holy Spirit. Did you guys catch that this morning? We must be filled with the Holy Spirit. Secondly, for character, we must always be with Jesus. Always with Jesus. And let's be honest, can we say that we're always with Jesus? I don't know, my life got really busy this week. A few things I wasn't expecting. And we sure use busy as a good excuse, don't we? Don't you guys know that we have all this wonderful technology today that's supposed to make a whole lot more time for us? Because it's supposed to help us with everything? I don't know. <laughs> just seems to make more work. You guys know what I'm talking about? We need to simplify. Because Satan's good at keeping us busy. Because if we're busy as Christians, what's busy? We should be about his business. But busy, B-U-S-Y, brought under Satan's yoke. Okay? Don't allow that to happen. And the third thing, guys, third secret we have for work, we must do everything in the name that is in the authority of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Good. So thus, grace can transform weak, ordinary people into strong, noble, courageous witnesses and workers for Christ. So God loved you enough to send Christ to die in your place. He did not give you what you deserved. He gave you what you did not deserve. That's the gospel, guys. And aren't we so thankful for that? Yeah. Amen. Cool. We're going to do something a little different. We haven't done this before. I'm going to pray. We have communion out over here. If you want to partake of communion, you guys can hang out and grab it. Go back to your seats and partake in communion on your own. I'm going to close in prayer, and you guys will be dismissed. To do what you want. I would encourage you guys um, be praying for one another. Just be praying that we would be bold, that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit, that we would take every opportunity to speak the name of Jesus. Um, yeah... Before service, we were praying. Um, the prayer was that every single person that would come today would really have an encounter with the living God. That we'd really be able to sense his presence. And I'll be honest with you guys, I've never sensed the presence of God more than when I've been sharing Jesus with somebody. As I go out and I've been able to preach the gospel, okay, I've been in stadiums with thousands of people with awesome rock stars praying, playing some awesome gospel music, awesome times of worship, neat experience. But I've never experienced the unique presence of God in such a way than when I've been out preaching the gospel. And as I look in scripture and I see what we're speaking of, of being filled with the spirit, that fresh feeling, you guys look for yourself this week. When did that fresh feeling, that presence, that experience happen with believers? It's as they were going out preaching the gospel. That's when these things happen, guys. So if you want to experience God in a unique way, 
Start preaching the gospel to people. And it'll become contagious because <laughs> there's nothing cooler. So Father, I just simply want to ask and thank you for this time this morning. God, I thank you that you, you've spoken through your word. What Peter and John did that day so many years ago, Father, just being bold and obeying you rather than men, we, we saw some awesome things happen. We saw people hear the truth that were set free, who we get to meet someday. These 5,000 men and their wives and kids that are going to be there one day. And we're going to get to ask them about this day and what happened. We're going to get to worship with them. We're going to get to meet this lame man who was crippled for 40 years of his life. Father, we know your heart. We know your desire is that none would perish. God, and in that, you've asked us to partner in your work to be co-laborers with you. And we ask of you this morning, Father, to help us to do that. Fill us afresh with your spirit, please. Give us opportunity and boldness. I ask for each one of my brothers and sisters and even myself, God, that you would renew a new hunger and thirst within us for your word, to go deep, to study it, that we would find ourselves like our brother Jeremiah who couldn't hold it in no matter what was happening in his life, no matter how rough things got. That your word burned so much within him, he had to speak it. Let us, let it be said of us here at Freedom Fellowship, is your kids. Father, give us opportunities to share the good news. We thank you so much for your word this morning. We thank you so much, God, that you have spoken that you have made your will known to us. So please, go before us. We ask in your name, Jesus. Amen? Amen. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Amen? Amen. Amen.